Hello everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikucci here, welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz's Travel. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions, and more through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative, and visionary artists. And today we'll be speaking with Vic Sahoni, founder of Ostinato Records. Based in New York City, Ostinato was founded in 2016 and releases rare music from countries and societies underrepresented or misrepresented in the music industry and the cultural discourse at large. During its lifespan and up to this point, the label has released music from Haiti, Somalia, Senegal and more. And its latest release captures the music of Nuri and his derpa band from Sudan's Red Sea coast. But here to tell us more about Ostinato is Vic Sahoni himself. So fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our conversation with Vic Sahoni. Hello Vic, welcome to Jazz's Travel. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's a real pleasure, it's a real treat uh, for us to be speaking with you and to talk about uh, Ostinato Records and to tell us about the amazing work you guys do and the music that you put out there. But um, I also wanted to start by asking you a bit about yourself because this is the first time we talk, so it's great to kind of get to know you a bit better and your life before the foundation of Ostinato. So Vic, uh, where are you originally from and when did you get bit by the music bug, so to speak? Sure. So uh, I was born in India and I grew up in the Philippines, Thailand and Singapore. Um, I'm for all intents and purposes, I consider myself a Southeast Asian. I have lived in many parts of the world. Um, I've also been, you know, lived in the United States, studied and worked in the United States. The label is, of course, was founded and is based in New York City, uh, which is, you know, the meeting point for much of the world. And uh, the, the music bug bit me at a very young age because when you travel the world, as a young child, or you're moved around a lot, um, you need a security blanket of some sort. And I always found that music was a really uh, helpful way to begin to adjust to a new place. Uh, I would hide behind my headphones, you know, before I felt comfortable, uh, you know, assimilating or or becoming comfortable with the new country that I've just moved to. Uh, but also, you know, uh, growing up in so many different cultures, you develop an appreciation, of course, for the depth of different cultures, but you also develop an appreciation for authenticity. And I think that word gets thrown around a lot, uh, but it, it, it doesn't really always uh, mean what people say. You know, when you grow up in societies, you know that there is an authentic version of that country, and then there is um, the media version of that country, and then there is the tourist version of that country. And the media and tourist versions uh, barely scratch the surface of the authenticity of those countries. So when you grow up around the world in many different countries, you are able to go to other countries like we've done uh, for our music and immediately identify what is authentic. And I think um, that that's, you know, kind of how music has played a role in my life and how I am able to seek out authenticity is, is, is largely through music. But before I actually started the record label, I was not, I had a love for music, you know, collecting records, DJing, just general love for music, a uh, student of history. So I've always loved history, uh, learning about the past and how, you know, the past can be interpreted in so many different ways and what is actually hidden from so many pasts that we have not learned about, which I think again is a music is a great way of revealing that. But also, um, 
I didn't start off in the music business. I, I actually started my career as a journalist. Uh, I worked for major Western news organizations uh, where I developed a passion for storytelling. Mm -hmm. And our record label, Ostinato Records, really came about through the marriage of a desire to tell stories that have not been told uh, from countries where we do not always see the authentic version of things, along with a love for music. And I thought if I could combine, you know, music, authenticity, and storytelling, well, then you can tell some very powerful stories that dismantle many myths, um, you know, degrade many stereotypes, and uh, offer a much richer, more beautiful worldview for us to explore. What's the point of hating on countries or finding them, you know, violent, hopeless places when we can immerse in their music and their culture and we can learn so much from them through that? So this was really the philosophy of, of Ostinato Records as someone from, let's say, the developing world. Um, I wanted yeah. to fight for the developing world's music uh, and its culture because I think it's very poorly represented in, in the world's imagination. Uh, when did the story of Ostinato Records start? And uh, you mentioned authenticity, so that was always there. This this concept of authenticity was always a driving concept. Yes, authenticity is 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 hugely important because again, you know, when you live in countries uh, or you grow up in countries like I did that are say major tourist destinations, you again know that there are many different versions of the country, and you almost feel sorry for many of the people who come visit because they are barely scratch, scratching the surface in the depths of flavor of food and the depths of sound of the music and the depths of human relations in the country. I think people who visit and don't aren't able to immerse walk away with quite a poor experience, even if they've had a great time. But you know, they, it, there's, there is a level of culture in every society that is profoundly deep and that not many people get to experience. You have to be from that culture, or you have to immerse yourself deeply in there, you have to live in the country. Um, you know, there you, you don't get to experience it very often. But if you understand that there is always a deeper layer to things, you will be able to seek that out. And that's when you will come across the best music, the best food, uh, the best relationships, the best experiences. Um, Ostinato Records itself, you know, our first release was in 2016. Uh, with uh, music from Haiti, but the the label started about two years prior to that. At least the foundations to set up the label when we started pursuing projects. You can't just set up a label with one record and then say, "Okay, guys, wait like another two years before I put something out." So you have to like, you know, set up two, three, three, four projects before you launch the label, so you have a, a catalog that's building. Um, so you know, I would say around 2013. I think that's actually when I went to Haiti for the first time. I went to Haiti a couple of times, and in 2013 is when I started started putting together the initial foundations for for the record label. Uh, I was still working in journalism at the time. I didn't know how things were going to work out. I didn't know if you know I was going to move into music full time. But I always had this kind of idea and passion to do so. And I should mention, I did do a short stint with a record label, so I did have a little bit of experience with coming with, uh, you know, from from that. But we started around 2013 when we went to Haiti. 2014 when we started working with the music of Cape Verde. 2015 when we started exploring the music of Somalia. And so the foundations of the label were were laid in my upbringing, that to begin with, and then they were laid in my my experience of living around the world. Um, because everything that I grew up with or all the, all the lessons you learn, let's say as a global nomad, uh, are imbued in the label. Uh, you know, how we pursue the music, how we work with the music, uh, how we are able to immerse in societies to ensure that we are not walking away with the tourist version of music. We're walking away with what that country loves, what it considers dear, what it considers to be the deepest representation of its culture. 
Um, so, you know, from my upbringing to my global experience to, um, you know, the, the, the foundations we put in place from 2013 onwards, uh, you know, I feel like the label was, it might have only been, you know, now coming up to six years old and maybe eight years old with the, with the foundational work that we had to do. But it really was a lifetime of experience and work that allows us or allows me to do this job to the best of the abilities that I can, because it's, it's a, it's a set of skills you don't actually know you have until you start showing up in Somalia or Haiti and you realize, Hey, I can navigate this country with an ease that perhaps uh, some tourists or other travelers are not being able to. And that is a blessing of, of, you know, being growing up in societies that have very deep, rich cultures that you ha you're forced to immerse to from a very young age. So I feel like the label is, is a lifetimes of work uh, to, to, to be made, uh, to be made possible. Uh, so yeah, that's the, that's the story of, of Osnato Records. So let's take, for instance, you know, a place like Sudan in reference perhaps to your uh, Ostinato's latest release. Uh, when you're in a country like that, maybe for the first time, uh, how do you avoid the, 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 the tourist experience, the, the experience that isn't authentic, as you say? Well, the first thing I would do is get to know people as soon as you arrive. Um, you know, or before you arrive, what I usually do is contact people who could help us while we're there. And fortunately, we've always found really incredible people uh, to be colleagues in our, in our endeavors and our projects. Uh, but the first trip to a country, of course, you have a mission in mind. Hey, I want to produce something from here, but where do I begin? Um, and, and once you arrive, you know, uh, it's, it's about keeping a supremely open mind and being extremely adventurous. You know, when I go somewhere, I, I immediately say, I want to eat the food of, you know, the, the country. I want to eat the food of the country that is, let's say, not shared as much with the world. You know, the funkier stuff uh, that, that people might not always consider immediately palatable. You know, I grew up in food cultures where we ate a lot of stuff that the world might think, hmm. I'm not sure about that, but I love it. I know, I, I know that when when you when you demand or you ask for, you know, what is it? I want I want to taste the the, the truest representation of your food culture. I think that's a great way to start because if you arrive and you say, I want to start listening to all this music, people are like, wait, hang on a minute. First, eat, you know, go to someone's home, ha eat their food, drink their tea, have conversations, learn. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's one fantastic way to immerse yourself because when people in a country see you enjoying the food that perhaps they are unsure how people from outside will enjoy. You know, usually when I go to a country and I say, you know, I'd love to eat, you know, like what is the food that is, again, the truest representation? I don't ask it that way, obviously, but I just say, you know, I want to eat some real good food from the country. Obviously, they begin by taking me to, you know, places that are, you know, very easily, you know, digestible or palatable foods that they think that, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's what they're going to like. I say, no, you know, I know you got something funkier, something richer, something deeper, something spicier. And that's when we start getting deeper into the cuisine. You really start to learn, okay. And when, when you start to taste the flavors of a country, you get a good idea of a whole lot about uh, about the society. You know, food is, of course, a brilliant way to, to navigate that. But once you've done that, you know, you have shown to people that you are you are not coming for the surface level experience. You want the, the, the deepest, richest experience you can find. And I, I think that comes across in your curiosity, your open-mindedness, uh, your empathy, your love for the country. Of course, when you show up to a country, make sure you've read everything about it. Make sure you know its history. Make sure you know what people have been through. Make sure you are going to a country and you understand where people's 
you know, w- worldview, uh, what their values are, what what their what their complexes, what their angers are, everything. So that when you show up, you have a great deep sense of empathy, and people can sense this immediately, and they they can they they know immediately this is a person who, let's say, um, deserves to be shown that closed door that we often don't show others. At least that's how I felt when I've been in Haiti or in Sudan or in Somalia. Um, you know, I, I feel like some doors have opened that um, perhaps don't open for anybody. And it's, it's a huge blessing and privilege because you get to experience a, a culture on such a deep level. And, and you know it right away when, when you are served a certain meal, you hear a certain sound, you, you are exposed to certain things, you know right away, this is it. This is the act. This, this is what I was looking for. And, and I know people are hesitant because they don't know how you're going to react, right? You know, they don't want to give you something and, 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 and face a negative reaction. So it's about also making, you know, your hosts uh, comfortable and saying, listen, I will eat anything you give me. I will listen to anything you put on, on your stereo system. I will, you know, go anywhere you want me to go. I want to see everything, you know, and I want to experience everything. And don't worry, I'm not someone who's going to judge. I, you know, whatever you eat, whatever you listen to, there's no judgment. I understand your culture. I'm here because I love it and I want to learn more about it because I want to produce something from it that will allow me to channel this story and this authenticity to the world. And I think if it's a genuine mission that you're with, I think it comes across immediately when you arrive. Um, the immigration officer can see it in your eyes, you know, and they're going to say, oh, please come in. We know exactly why you're here. Um, so I think that's it. You know, I think empathy, patience and an open mind go a very long way. And hearing you say that, you know, and now you bring up the the word empathy, it's almost an alternative term to use in the music industry, especially at this uh, moment in time. Uh, when it seems like all we hear about uh, when it comes to even the big labels and or especially the big labels is a lack of empathy. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think that's what separates uh, maybe some independent labels from the big corporate labels. Um, you know, we, we are guided by, you know, a much larger mission, uh, a much grander goal. Um, of course, we are a business. So, yeah, we want to release music that's going to sell. Otherwise, we'll, we'll be out of business. But, you know, we are not stripping away everything to profit off every single aspect of this, like the corporate labels do. You know, let's strip it all down for parts. And this is the most profitable version of it. We're not doing that. You know, we barely touch the music when it's recorded. We record it in its, in its traditional form, as in where it's normally played. Um, we mix and master it to ensure that it maintains its warmth. Even when we find old archival music, you know, we, people say, oh, why do you release music with bad audio quality? I say, well, that's what the music is. It was recorded in that way. It was put on cassettes in that way. Mm. Why should we, why should we transform it into something that it's not? Um, so, you know, for us is the music, the quality of the music will always come first. We don't, we're not guided by, is this going to sell? Is that going to sell? Of course, that enters our consideration, but it's not the guiding principle um, that, you know, uh, perhaps a lot of the, the big labels, the corporate labels are, um, are pursuing. And particularly in this day and age when, you know, we're not talking about albums so much anymore in the music industry because everything is songs, right? It's playlists on Spotify. It's eight second sh- songs on TikTok. It's, it's these, this, this idea that we have to create something that's going to grab someone's attention in eight to 10 seconds on a small TikTok video. Um, and, and, or it's going to be something that the algorithms pick up. So the streaming services feed it to people and it's got to get on playlists. So, you know, the, the whole concept of an album, 
a beautiful story, which is what albums are. Each track is a chapter and you, you go, you like you read a book, you listen to an album front to back. I think that is, that art exists still, but it's slowly dying because, you know, the digital environment is not conducive to albums and particularly the digital environment we're moving into is less and less conducive to whole albums and more and more conducive to catchy sound bites. And I think that's what the corporate labels are going for because that is what will essentially make them the most money. Whereas the indie labels, we take, I think, even far bigger risks because we go and record tracks that are 11 minutes long. We go and find music that is, you know, very traditional that we think is beautiful. So all of that can only come with a sense of empathy. Um, you know, stripping everything. Well, once we get to the stage, and don't get me wrong, we, we do get into positions, particularly as the music business changes, even for us greatly. You know, we do get in, into phases where we do assess projects more and more for commercial viability. That is just something we have to do. But we try to make, again, we try not to make that our guiding principle. We look at the projects that we have in front of us that we want to produce, and, you know, each of them has a mission behind them. And we say, is the mission strong enough? that we don't have to really put commercial viability into our considerations at all because the music is so beautiful that when we put it out, people are going to love it. Yeah. You know, we've had to start having those conversations more and more. It's, 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 it's a bit disheartening given where the music industry is going. But I firmly believe that, you know, good music is never going to die. The, the, the only problem we're facing now is, uh, is good music going to be good enough in the first eight seconds to capture people's attention? That's the only situation <laughs> yeah. we're facing. Uh, you also mentioned TikTok in passing. Uh, TikTok, you know, uh, some people, I, I've heard some people ludicrously perhaps say that it, that is where the future of music is. Uh, I, I honestly hope not, but anyways. But having said that, uh, you know, TikTok too has its positive, uh, positives, I guess, because uh, from what I've read about your latest album, which I hope I pronounce uh, their names right, Nori and Isdorpa Band, you that's where you came across them right yes so you know TikTok. yes i hope it's not the future of music but uh, i'm going to be one of those doomsayers to say that it's it might not be the future of music but it's going to fundamentally shape how the music industry operates and it already is in many ways uh before uh you know success for a record um relied on of course it, this is all assuming you have a stellar product a stellar music product an amazing album beautiful music you know absolutely say all of that is in, in order uh before you used to you know do some radio play get some good press you know uh maybe some djs would play it you use your own social media following maybe on instagram to promote it or wh wherever that 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 is changing um a success of a record today is largely based on its virality on tiktok um, and it's why the major record labels, someone like Atlantic Records, for example, in the United States, literally there was a there was a whole uh, there was a whole uh, issue because uh, they they were basically forcing their artists to do more TikToks. Their marketing departments are saying your record's not going to sell unless you have some viral TikToks. So you know that's that's one side of that app that I think is 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 disheartening. But at the same time, you have to remember. One thing that's uh, quite nice about this app is that 
it is a very global app, right? So the, the American apps may not function in places like Sudan that have been under sanctions or, or elsewhere, you know, but this app has not really any restrictions and it, it's been taken by the global South. You know, if you go anywhere in Asia, Africa or South America, people are heavily on this application. So it has a, has a very a nice diversity to it. Let's put it that way. And when you are in Sudan, for example, uh, you know, uh, we were just scrolling TikTok in our hotel room one night, not 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 particularly looking for anything, uh, because TikTok is also an app that, uh, depending on the country that you're in, your feed completely changes, right? So if you're in New York, your feed is mainly New York, U.S. stuff. If you're in Sudan, it's entirely Sudanese stuff, and and so you're you get you get a really great insight into into the country you're in, right? You see people eating, you see them reviewing restaurants, you see them dancing to songs songs that you haven't heard, and then. Fortunately or serendipitously, you come across a video of a band playing music. And, um, you know, we're so fortunate they uploaded this onto, well, not on their account. It was someone else, you know, who was at that event that was filming them. And, uh, you know, it, I could have just scrolled past and forgotten. But fortunately, whatever they did play, again, in the first eight seconds, did catch my ear. And uh, I remember thinking, this is really phenomenal music. And we, in fact, just put the exact TikTok video on our Instagram so you can see what it was that actually caught our ear. As soon as I heard it, I said, you know, we didn't come to Sudan with this in mind to record these guys, but, you know, they sound fantastic. So let's just find out what's going on here. And uh, we spoke to our colleague and co-producer Omer, who's from Sudan, who also runs an, runs an events company. So he has a large network of musicians because he is constantly sourcing musicians and DJs to perform at his events that he does for people, right? And so, you know, tapping into that network, he found out that these are, this is Nuri and his Dorpa band. They are a band from the east of Sudan, a part of Sudan where a lot of people don't really talk about. It's on the Red Sea coast. It is not much in news coverage. We don't really hear about music from there. And, you know, even someone like myself who've been to Sudan numerous times, uh, you know, I've released music from the north, uh, you know, music from the capital. Uh, I've heard music from the South and the West, very diverse, huge country, Sudan. And, uh, but I've never even thought about going to the East and, and, you know, uh, by the Red Sea, which that entire region is always, we've released so much music from the Red Sea region, which is such a beautiful, beautiful region of the world, which has some of the most incredible music, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, I asked our colleague Omar, I said, okay, Nuri and his Dorpa band, who are these guys? He said, you know, they're from the city called Port Sudan, which is the country's biggest port in the Red Sea. And so we went to go meet Nuri. And he was in Port Sudan. He says, you know, I actually perform a lot in in the capital Khartoum where you guys are. So let's go back. A lot of my band members are, are there. You know, they're, they're, they're a type of band that that's not their full time gig, right? They perform with other bands to, to make a living, right? So e each of them goes off and performs with other bands to play at weddings and festivals or whatnot. And then they come together as this passion project, uh, which is the Dorpa band. And so, yes, you know, TikTok was... Um, was instrumental in, 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 in finding them. And, you know, we did open the app with an expectation that something cool would pop up, not something that we would produce, but we would at least be able to learn about the music because again, based on which country you're in, your TikTok feed is going to reveal a whole different, you know, set of music and, and, and content. And I think that's one of the fascinating things about this app. Um, when you're in a country, you can really get, you know, when we're talking about immersion, TikTok is actually an incredible way to immerse and you can actually see what's going on greatly in the country, you know, culinarily, mm -hmm. musically. So yeah, that's how we came across this band. And, you know, if we had, uh, we had just scrolled past, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. <laughs> and what is the, what is the kind of music that they play? Right. So, um, 
Sudan is a very diverse country, right? So you have to understand there's, there's about, I believe, about 400 different languages or groups of people in Sudan, maybe even more. So, and each of those groups of people have their own music, right? So you go to Nubia in the north, the Nubians have their music, the Shigia have their own music in the north. We've released an album of Shigia music uh, by an artist, the late, great Abu Abeda Hassan, who passed away last year, unfortunately. Um, you know, there's music from the south, music from the west. So the music from the east is is very fascinating because it is um, it is music that is not really heard uh, at all from the country. Other labels have released music from Sudan as well. You've heard, you have jazz releases. You have all kinds of stuff coming out of Sudan, um, but the music of the east has been relatively untouched um, or, or unheard. And there, and there's very real reasons for that. You know that that is a community which they're known as the Bija, the Bija community. The album is called Bija Power. And the reason we wanted to call it Beach of Power is because this entire album is dedicated to shining a light, a spotlight on the struggle of the Beach of people. Uh, you know, without going too deeply into the politics and history of the country, Sudan has been experiencing a revolution for the last few years. They overthrew, you know, a 30-year-old dictatorship. Uh, they had a transitional government for a while. And then uh, that transitional government was overthrown in a military coup and people were back out on the streets and they're still on the streets today. Now, when you see coverage of that, you see protests happening, you know, in the capital, and the whole world says, you know, we support your democratic struggle. But people forget there's a group in the East known as the Bija who have been fighting for the same thing for much longer than the cameras have been there. Um, you know, they're a community that sits on the most gold-rich area of the country, and none of those resource profits have, uh, you know, trickled down to the Bija community. So you have high illiteracy. Um, you have very low investment in, in, uh, in education or healthcare. Uh, and under the 30 year dictatorship of Omar al-Bashir, you actually had a campaign in which he tried to wipe out Bija culture. He said, this is, this is an inferior culture. This is not worthy of anything. And it should be wiped, obliterated and replaced. And so enter someone like Nuri. Nuri is a fabulous musician, um, of the Bija community. To him, he said, my goal is to preserve this music and to use this music so that people know what's happening in the east of Sudan, but also know that Bija music is one of the sweetest, most beautiful musics in the world. And Nuri spent, you know, years perfecting the decades, perfecting the idea of how do we, before we met him, of course, how do we, how do I take Bija music, which is a really rich music? It's a very ancient music. It's uh, Bija people have been around for thousands of years. You know, in fact, the hieroglyphics in ancient Egypt portray Bija people. Um, you know, they have their ancestry is traced back to ancient Egypt and the kingdom of Kush. We're talking six, seven thousand year history here. And the most beautiful thing is their music, their melodies are equally as old, which is why if you listen to some of the songs in the album, particularly track two, which is called Qual, it sh if you close your eyes, it should transport you right back to the Pharaoh's courts of ancient Egypt. You are literally hearing the sound of the ancient world, of that very, very ancient Red Sea world. And I think that is really fascinating. And, you know, for that musical legacy to have been on the verge of being wiped out at one point it would have been disastrous. But these melodies have been passed down generation to generation. You know, the Bija masters who keep these melodies in their head and, 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 uh, uh, Nuri goes to learn from them. You know, I think it's fascinating. So he, he was, driven by a mission to preserve this culture, this Bija music, um, that, you know, many people in the country of Sudan itself have not heard. I mean, the reaction to the album in Sudan is incredible because people said, yes, we've heard Bija music here and there, but not like this. And by not like this, I mean, Nuri was very, had a great foresight when he created the band in 2006, because he said, 
you know, the band cannot be a traditional music band. It's got to be something that has electric instrumentation, brass instrumentation, and it's got to be what what he calls quote unquote a jazz band. I wouldn't exactly call it a jazz band, but when you hear the music, you can understand why. He he would refer to at that, you know, in his uh in his limited English, he was saying this should be a jazz band. But you know, the entire band is led by an instrument that Nuri himself crafted when he was around 18 years old. Uh, he's around 47 now, so you can do the math of uh, when he when he crafted this instrument. He basically took an electric guitar, the neck of an electric guitar. Now he's from Port Sudan, which is the country's biggest port, and now all ports have large scrapyards, right? Ships leave a whole bunch of stuff, and there's a lot of scrapyards. So you know, growing up in his very humble beginnings, he he found a neck of an electric guitar and he took it an electric tambour. A tambour is a five-string instrument. It's called a krar in Ethiopia. It's quite common across East Africa. Um, he took a he took these two instruments and he fused them. I don't know the exact mechanics of how he did this, but he put them together. So you essentially have what's known as a tambour guitar. And he said he created that because he said this was the best way to take the old of Bija and bring it into the new, and 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 it can be the centerpiece of of what would form a band that is dedicated to preserving Bija culture, which is very ancient, which is on the verge of being uh, wiped out. And it can also be something that is so universal in sound that the whole world can love it. Now, this is before he'd even come into me. So he had this idea in mind that if I create this, all of this, all these elements that I just mentioned, maybe someone will come across, run into us, and we can do something. So, you know, his idea was always to have a Bija album. But um, our mission was always about shining a light on cultures that have experienced what Bija people have and cultures that we haven't even heard about, like the Bija people and and the politics and history about why we haven't heard about them. Why haven't we heard Bija music if it's seven thousand years old, right? Why don't we know about it? You know, very real, very real reasons for that. Yeah. And so when we met him, uh, you know, we had this huge discussion about Bija music. He said this was always the goal is to meet someone like myself, a record label like myself, or a producer uh, like the producers we have at the label, um, and 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 produce the the record we did. And, uh, you know, it fits, it, it was, it was, it was a very serendipitous meeting. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in things being meant to be. So if you come across something on TikTok and it happens to be something that is just not only exceptional music, but fulfills, you know, the mission that we are constantly striving to when we travel to countries, uh, it, it was, it was a wonderfully serendipitous meeting. And, and, you know, it was, it was the, uh, the marriage of, uh, of two philosophies that were very aligned. Um, Nuri saying, I want to preserve Bija culture and I want to do it, you know, in a very powerful way with this band. And me saying, we're looking for music that can tell powerful stories that haven't been told, that can reveal histories that haven't been told, and that can, you know, really push a narrative uh, into the world uh, that hasn't been pushed before. And that is the Bija story narrative. And even if you just put all that aside, for, if you just forget everything I've just said right now and you just listen to the music, it is such exceptional music. I mean, musicianship of the highest organic order, incredible brass playing, incredible, um, you know, instrumental uh, instrumentalists. Uh, to us, some of the most beautiful music we've 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 ever heard. And even if you just put all everything, all the politics and history aside that I just told you, look at how beautiful this music is. And it's been sitting. It's 2022, you know. And and he created this band in 2006. He's been performing since he was 18 in the 80s and 90s. And BJ Music is 7,000 years old. And 2022 is when we're when we're hearing about it finally. 
you know, that's a correction that has had to be made, even though it's being made very late in the day. It is a correction that had to be made. Yeah, I agree. I listened to the music and I thought it was amazing. I also listened to other music in the Ostinato catalog, and I'm looking forward to discovering more. And Vic, hopefully we can uh, have another chat again somewhere down the line, because uh, I really enjoyed uh, hearing you talk about, you know, share this, these stories with us. It's it's been It's been absolutely amazing. So Vic, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, man. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Vic Sahoni and I remind you that Ostinato's new album, Nuri and his Derpa band, Bija Power, will be released on the 24th of June. And I also hope that you will join me again next week for more globetrotting conversations with or about groundbreaking and visionary artists. But in the meantime, I also encourage you to check out more of our excellent content on jazzis.com. And if you subscribe, you get even more access to excellent content, including our recently released summer 2022 digital issue. Till the next time, this is Matt Makuchi signing off. See you soon.